Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome you all back to another episode of Why Black Law you and Legal like Lies. That? Because it's required of our sponsor for this show. Oh, Jesus. My name is Dan and I am one of your hosts. You can keep up with me on Twitter and on IG where you can watch me do things like box, play the piano, tell jokes and imitate people from New Orleans as well as Keith Sweat. Wait, tell jokes? Yes. What jokes? Follow the show across all <laughs> social media platforms at Black Law Podcast. <laughs> and I'm just Dan and you can follow me on Twitter at I Tell Legal Lies. Not that you'll actually see a lot of content. I tend to be less prolific than some people. But if I put things out there, there's things that matter. She don't be prolificizing like I do. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of, man, do you know how many times I had to edit you clearing your damn throat out of the last episode? What's wrong with clearing a throat? When it's in people's ears, it sounds disgusting oh yeah that's right that's one of your pet peeves is it no that's the email that somebody (laughs) sent me they couldn't make it through the whole episode because it was the one before last because i didn't have time to edit it like i wanted to. just to to let people know this is pollen season drip pollen season and i have sinus issues so oh baxter did I, did I throw you under the bus when you said you'll be right in and I said, take your time? Did the lady hear me? <laughs> Great. La- ladies and gentlemen, um, again, as our third co-host who's been missing for about 50 years, 2020, mm. I think she's been missing for all of 2020. Really? Damn. You know what? I think it might have started in 2019. I felt this withdrawal. Yeah. You know, I did. So... You know, grand entrance. Know. I mean, should I shout the sponsor out now while she's getting set up? Jesus, who's our sponsor? Y'all really showed some concern about me since I was supposedly missing. Okay? It, was it Lil Debbie? Oh, no. Well, introduce yourself for the for the people who don't know you, not the viewers, the listeners who don't know you, because there are some listeners who have. Started listening who don't know who the hell you are because they've never heard you. This Afro Becky. And Afro <laughs> Becky, tell, tell our new listeners a little bit about yourself. Old listeners, no, but new listeners. Um, it, if you had to describe yourself in two words, what would those words be? Brilliant and short. Come dumpster. That's how you would describe yourself, and I think you're right. <laughs> I think you are absolutely correct. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is proudly brought to you by the makers of Plan B. If you don't want it, neither do we. Wait, probably by the maker. Wait, probably. That's what you prob- said? Proudly. Oh, it sounded like probably to me. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode <laughs> is proudly brought to you by the makers of Plan B, as well as Colgate Toothpaste. Hmm. Same company makes them both. I think I was about to say, they're made by the same company. So today what we're going to get into, uh, last our last episode actually got a lot of positive feedback. <laughs> really did it. Airs property, yes. Mm. And, and people, people were like ticked off that that's how black folk got bamboozled and hoodwinked. I guess so, but uh, to date this year... It is our highest uh, downloaded, listened to episode. And as of today, it's only been out for two days. That's awesome. Like I said, that because that was needed. When I ran across an article about this, I had to put it out there. You know, people know, but the Bible says that people perish for a lack of knowledge. This is why this land is being snatched and it's still there it's i mean land is being taken out of the hands of black families every day and because of that shout to the homie uh flaw 702 he is doing a real estate deal with an heir right now that right and it's funny because the timing of the episode he uh 
he said back, man, I hope this is the only heir because, I mean, you never know. And that's real. But that what we're going to talk about this week, ladies and gentlemen, is a topic that we've kind of uh, discussed before, but we're going to approach it at a different angle. That's what she said. And <laughs> it's going to be affirmative action. Right. Now, what we're going to do, I guess we're going to start with me because I probably have the least amount of knowledge in this room when it comes to affirmative action is what is affirmative action? That would be the question. Because prior to recording, I was told that I was wrong. So affirmative action means, in my opinion, that you need to have a certain number. It's almost like a quota of niggas. And not only that, you need the application process. You need to interview a a certain number of minority people and you need to place them above a well-qualified white man. That's what I got, Becky. Um, see, his Beck knows. I just like Bo knows. Beck knows affirmative action. Mic down just a little bit to where it's in front of your mouth and not your nose. Mm. There you go. You have bits and pieces of that. Um, number one thing that I heard that was wrong was that you have to place them above. A qualified white person. Y'all hear how she hesitated to call me wrong? That's right. Ninja, please continue. Um, You have to put them in the same pool of qualified candidates as everybody else. As long as they are qualified for the position that you're hiring them for. Okay. So explain, explain like from the beginning what exactly affirmative action is. Well, I think... It might be best for our legal person to We're, provide the, the full and complete definition of affirmative action. Your first day back, you're just being fucking difficult. <laughs> like, wait, why, why do I gotta be difficult? To, to being difficult. I took my stab, I made myself look stupid. Fuck. Man, you, you make, make yourself it? look stupid just by walking around, man. <laughs> man they, suck. they don't take much suck. shit. It don't take much. Anyway. Honestly, I think this is why we wanted to do this show, because you say affirmative action and immediately what comes to mind, it's like affirmative action is synonymous with African American. Mm -hmm. You're moving the people, the lower people in front of the line, even though they may not be qualified for the position. That's what a lot of people think. Right. And that's it. That is exactly why we wanted to do this show to basically dispute people of this erroneous concept. Because although affirmative action is used like that, that is a very small piece. Because, you know, people, they scream about getting rid of affirmative action and we should have affirmative action. And if I can remember correctly, on a show, you even said that about getting rid of affirmative action. Or no. something like that. I think we I did. Think a, I recall that we did a show about people wanting to get rid of it, but I never. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to go back and, and it's listen somewhere because, in the 60s episodes between right, 60 that, and 70. But let's go back a little bit because, as I said, when you hear affirmative action, they or people think that's synonymous with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So, but affirmative action is something that has been in our country since almost, well, it harkens back to Reconstruction. So right after the Civil War, were programs put in place by Reconstructionists to help newly freed African-Americans. But just like, you know, 2020 and affirmative action, affirmative action Laws in general, more often than not, they favor or they help Caucasian women more than African-Americans across the board. So, you know, we have people out here that scream about getting rid of affirmative action and they don't really know what it is they're doing. So 
Tell us oh, what <laughs> is what they're saying. What, so, what is what is they be doing? All right. So let's talk about. So I talked about reconstruction and how there there is a civil rights act, several actually that are associated with reconstruction, which what they were supposed to do. The theory behind them was to help newly free slaves, slaves, but. In essence, what they really did was favor and help poor white people more than they did poor black people. Because if you write a law that in in its infancy and in its inception, at its core, what it's supposed to do is elevate poor people and you have poor white people, would they not benefit? And they did more often than not. And so move forward to 1930s 1940s we remember the new deal i wasn't alive for that i wasn't either but you took some history you have some knowledge we know just a little bit but great new deal roosevelt right president roosevelt and what he did was see the american what what was his what was his the biggest program that came out of that there was a few actually and uh if i may have the floor uh, President Roosevelt. Wait, wait. He, we don't need a history lesson, man. I asked one you question. You just asked for history. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you no, the history. I said, listen, what was, listen, what was right? the, the biggest? Listen, right? One- <laughs> listen, right? Listen, right? Um, President Roosevelt, he looked at, this was after the war. Our economy was in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Unemployment was at, for mm-hmm. back then, standards. <laughs> an all-time high Mm -hmm. and you know he sat there did y'all know that president roosevelt he couldn't even walk he was in a wheelchair (laughs) man come on man no seriously yes he was he had polio exactly if this if this had been the age of tv roosevelt probably never would have been president man man they they had tv they did but not like it was today not readily accessible in the great new deal what they did was the welfare program, welfare program, that was a big thing. Uh, they did the child support system. <laughs> they did. I hate uh, you so much. I do. Oh, and <laughs> the infrastructure. Really the They really the did do system. that. Yeah, the mm-hmm. infrastructure and stuff like that. Uh, rebuilding Americans' inf- inf- infrastructure <laughs> and putting <laughs> people to work by doing that. Right. Yep. So Hoover Dam, our interstates. And yes. um, the other Roosevelt did our national parks and All stuff right. like so, that. And the post office. But mm-hmm. in in the context of what we're talking about in affirmative action, mm-hmm. right, there were two major programs that came out of not just Roosevelt, Roosevelt and Ford, 30s and 40s. Well, not Ford, I'm sorry, Truman. 30s and 40s. Two big pieces of legislation that came out of Roosevelt was the New Deal. Truman was right, like what? The the fresh something? The fresh New Deal? <laughs> that nigga remixed he remixed the uh New no, Deal. No, it was it was the fair deal. He was Truman was the fair deal. All right. Okay. So two big pieces of legislation that came out of that that lines up in context with affirmative action. Social Security mm. and the GI Bill. So as I said, when we talk affirmative action, this is not a black thing because those two pieces of legislation, Social Security and the GI Bill, 98% did not enrich us, African-Americans or people of color. GI Bill, when black soldiers came back from World War II, for the most part, they cannot even reap the benefit of the GI Bill. As Let far, alone their middle, military benefits. Correct. As far as Social Security was concerned, so Social Security, something else that came out of that was unemployment compensation. I think you, met, you mentioned that, Beck, didn't you? Unemployment? Who mentioned that? Somebody did. Well, anyway, so Social Security and the GI Bill were the two big ones, the majors. But unemployment, minimum wage protection also, they were... Within that time frame. Okay, let me jump in here. Well, 
so social security, right? Mm-hmm. My entire life, I've been hearing that social security is probably not going to be around when you get old enough to benefit get so, from it. Yeah, mm-hmm. because because so, we are we are currently paying into the system, and supposedly we're paying into the system, and the money that we are paying into the system is being used now. Right now, so the way. I understand social care, social security works is it comes out of your paycheck and, and your goes, employer puts money in as well. Right. The percentage what's the percentage like 6.25062 something like that. And they uh 0.062%? No. 6.2%. Oh. I, <laughs> I to say I've been that getting ripped like, off. And it was like, "Damn, man, what's going on?" Man, so that that goes into a big fund and older people that are of retirement age, they get paid monthly just by being alive from that fund. Correct. It is. They are paid, but the what they are paid is based on their previous income. Well, how they worked, the, the length of time that they worked back being Madam HR over there. I'm sure you're more familiar with. The number of years that, or the number, what do they call them? Because it's not years. It's years of year. I think it's seven years of your highest uh, income years. Right. But they call them. They're credits, aren't they? Right. But, but it's something that they call your, your work time. There's a specific term. I can't remember it right now, but anyway, yes, that's how you're paid. But as I was saying, so because we're talking about, like I said, affirmative action and laws that were made for affirmative action. And as far as Social Security was concerned and the other things that I mentioned, the GI Bill and unemployment and minimum wage, when these things, which are affirmative action programs, because they are specific to certain people, because that when Just as a general term, when we're talking about affirmative action, what affirmative action is, is a it's a practice or a policy of favoring a certain group of people. Right. Correct. So when you talk about affirmative action programs, Social Security favors what group of people? Poor people and old people. Right. So when you talk about unemployment insurance, it favors unemployed people. Right. When you talk about the GI Bill, it favors. Correct. So we're talking about affirmative action programs. So they fit within the realm. These programs, when they at their inception, as I said, did not benefit black and brown people. They benefited white America because as far as Social Security was concerned, realized these things came about, especially for black people and brown people. We were in the midst of Jim Crow, right? So what inevitably happened in order to get Southern politicians to support these measures, what the federal government did was allow them to set the law or or create the law in such a way that these programs were run by local governments. So if you're in the South, the South, if you're in the South, I told y'all, if you go to my Instagram page, I imitate people from New Orleans. If you're in the South and you're under Jim Crow and your local politician is the one that is governing this program, if you're a black person, are you getting any any benefit of it? You're not. So what what inevitably happened with Social Security and with unemployment We know during that time, black people, they were domestics, right? They're like, what, 98, 90 90 plus percent of people. Scrubbing toilets. Right. They were domestics and they were agriculture. They were like farmers, right? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what Social Security and unemployment didn't cover? Those particular fields. Hmm. Domestics and people in agriculture, farmers. So did they have to pay into the Social Security? That's just it. They didn't have to pay, but they didn't reap the benefits, the benefits. either. Okay. Right. So 
And then in some, I was reading some stuff, they did pay in, but they couldn't get the benefits thereof. So think about the GI Bill. The GI Bill allowed people to get government loans. They had preferences for government loans. They had preferences for jobs, right? And when we talk about, you know, in earlier shows, what we know as far as any family is concerned, the way you build generational wealth, especially for people of color, is through what? Home ownership, right? So I was going to say robbing people, but okay. So home ownership. So here you have a GI Bill that is supposed to give you low interest loans to buy a home. As well as education. Correct. Send me send me to top notch education, you know, educational institutions for free. And I don't have the benefit of that. So I was doing some research and this is what um, what I found out about that. And I was like, yeah. So I talked about how those occupations, they were excluded from minimum wage, that minimum wage laws, the occupations that most black people actually held. They were excluded from that, from social security, from unemployment and from workers' compensation. Right. And as far as the GI bill is concerned, when it was passed and the the programs that were attached to it, $95 billion, right? Worth of program (laughs) money, $95 billion worth of money injected into these programs. But here's what the study showed, right? That as of 1946, 6,500 former soldiers had been placed in non-farm jobs by employment services, right? In Southern states, 86% of the skilled and semi-skilled jobs were filled by white people. 92% of the unskilled ones by black people. So, you know, as a result of GI Bill on the job training was the thing. You didn't, you didn't have to go to school. They placed you in a program and you apprenticed. And then you earn certification. Couldn't do that. So, and this wasn't just in the South. So this study says that in New York City and in Northern New Jersey, fewer than 100 of the 67,000 mortgages that were insured by the GI Bill were purchased by non-white people. How many percent? 100 out of 67,000. Okay, so like 0.67%, kind of like Social Security. So Wait, so one of the things, too, I wanted to inject into this is redlining, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've heard that term a lot. It, you know what's crazy is in 2020. Still doing it. But, well, we're hearing more about it in 2020 than for the past probably 40 years, damn And your near. president just tweeted something. So about it, let's describe to our listeners who may hear the term what redlining is. Becky, you go first. Redlining is the practice of excluding certain areas or certain uh, neighborhoods from um, the benefit of a program or a loan or access to funds or a program. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically. It is drawing a red line around a neighborhood and saying you can't inject money into this neighborhood. You can't you can't put programs in this neighborhood that would actually economically benefit the neighborhood in this this neighborhood. Now, if you were a cash buyer, Mm -hmm. could you then purchase in said neighborhood? See, now here's where our little, um, you know, we hearken back to. Our episode about what these the co- covenants, the covenants, yeah, yeah. yeah. racially yeah. restrictive covenants, covenants. Uh-huh. right? So, and remember when we talked about that, we talked about that was something that was actually fostered by the federal government once again, mm-hmm. because they said unless you had this in that contract, in that mortgage contract, they would not fund that. That is a basically that has to do with this whole system or the these programs that were created that we're talking about today too. So 
I guess my little two cents right now is that for anybody who doesn't get or doesn't understand why people are protesting, mm. why people are out in the streets <laughs> and don't under don't think that we still live in a racist society. These are exactly the policies and procedures and and practices that have held us down. And this is exactly why when when we talked about this before, what I said was it is in our DNA and it is in the fabric of our country. This is so one one of the things we talked about uh, previous episode was let's look at after Hurricane Katrina, the lower ninth ward. Historically, black neighborhoods have the property values have been substantially lower than mm-hmm. white neighborhoods, even Hispanic neighborhoods, mm-hmm. Latino neighborhoods, Asian neighborhoods. So, like, let, let's just say the average cost of a house, I'm making these numbers up, in a black neighborhood was $80,000, right? Right. So the white neighborhood would probably be somewhere around 140, 150 or probably so. Triple that. Just uh again throwing numbers out there. So mm-hmm. that house that gets passed down generation after generation after generation, it actually loses value because of the um what do you call it the upkeep um like But it loses value until it doesn't. And and that's what I'm getting <laughs> at. The mm-hmm. um so you inherit your great grandmother's house, right? Mm-hmm. She bought the house for probably ten dollars. Yes, fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> so she bought it for fifty thousand dollars. Then your grandmother inherited. She lives there for a while. Then you inherit it from your grandmother. So this is a fifty thousand dollar house, and now it needs a new roof. Because the, I mean, the upkeep just wasn't done on the house. Mm -hmm. It needs to be uh, renovated, leveled, and all this other shit. So the amount of money that you need to put into this house to uh, just make it livable by today's standards, Mm -hmm. let's say $90,000. Being that our source of wealth, as you said, is passed down from property. Yo, we, we hustling backwards because this house that was worth... 50. Now we got to put 90 in it. Where are we going to get the 90 from? See, and that's exactly why. That's exactly how we discussed on the show about this air property. Because what inevitably happens? Yeah, Nobody's paying it. the taxes. Oh, yeah. The taxes, too. Forgot right. about that. Nobody's paying the taxes. And somebody comes along, buys it for the taxes. And so now. But this but is the, my question to, to the both of you. We've watched this process happened over and over again, what we like to call gentrification. gentrification. So mm-hmm. these neighborhoods get bought out by more affluent white people who do mm-hmm. have the 90 grand to fix it up. Mm-hmm. So one moves in, they fix the house up and then another moves in about five houses down. And next thing you know, you look up and the entire neighborhood's white. They strip the neighborhood of its culture mm-hmm. And the people that grew up in that neighborhood, when you come walking through the neighborhood, they're calling the cops on you because like, yo, nigga, you don't you should, belong you don't, here. But see, but let's talk about this. You talk about where we get the $90,000 from. Okay. Here's where that systemic racism that is embedded in the fabric of our society, that is embedded in the programs that are supposed to help this affirmative, these affirmative action programs that are supposed to help us rather than hurt us, why wouldn't you be able to go to the bank and get a construction loan to fix your house and use the house as collateral? Why would you want to, though? Because now... Why would you not? Well, what you're doing is the... This is thinking out loud. I haven't thought this fully through, but you're taking a house property that isn't worth very much... Now you're you're lever- leveraging your your. It, it's worth a lot to you because you're living in it. You you have lived in it, and your family has lived in it for generations. Right, but and the dollars thing is, and cents. Yeah, but the problem is you don't know what this property is actually worth because most of the time, think about it. As I as we talked about in the heirs' property show and others, you give this property up, you sell it thirty grand. Mm-hmm. 
and then two seconds later, it's worth five hundred thousand. Right, but if you stay there and everybody in your neighborhood stays there, then the property value remains suppressed. Yes, but not if you and everybody else in that neighborhood actually does what gentrifiers do. Not if you look like you, me, or Becky. See, but that's, that is the issue that we're talking about right now. But let me tell you, there are neighborhoods in New Orleans that... Uh, affluent black neighborhoods. Correct. Yeah. That that regardless of who lives there, these the houses in these neighborhoods, the prices... They st- they would, still won't rival, say, an old Metairie. And that's Saint true. Charles. But you know what? I heard something on Sunday that uh, Beyonce, that, that was cre- credited to her. Supposedly, she said it. You know, I don't see a seat at the table for me. So I'm going to chop down a tree and make my own table. My house doesn't have to be worth half a million dollars. Right. My My house only has to be worth enough for me to have some value in it so that I can pass that along, that equity to my child and my child could in turn do the same thing, that they can leverage it. Maybe they want to live in a different neighborhood, but they have the equity in it to leverage it to go and build somewhere else or to buy somewhere else. Okay, so what what we're going to do is uh, next episode, we'll talk about, we've already talked about fiscal responsibility, but next episode... We're going to talk about financial responsibility, which sounds like like it's the same thing, but, but it's not. It's not. So this was the question I was going to pose to both of y'all before I got sidetracked <laughs> um, with people moving into our neighborhoods, increasing the, the value of our neighborhoods and our land, mm-hmm. pushing us out. We go find other places to live. Right. Mm-hmm. At some point, land is finite. finite mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Where do you see China. black Americans? I said, I said China, but you know what? Let me tell you. Eventually, just as you said, land in the United States is finite. It is. Resources are finite. They are. Eventually, there is going to come a, a tipping point where you can no longer push me out. You can't. Because at some point, as Becky said, this is the reason why people are protesting. This is the reason why people are saying it's time to step up and stand out because you can't you can't push me any further. You are I heard something on the way over. Keisha Lance Bottoms was talking and she was talking about how the tweet that I I mentioned, the president talked about how um low income housing You know, people in suburbia, you no longer have paraphrasing here. You don't have to worry because low income housing will not um, push into your neighborhoods. I'm saving suburban America for you or suburban white America for you, X, Y and Z. And what Keisha Lance Bottom was talking about was affordable houses for working class people and, you know, in the suburbs and. What she said was what Donald Trump would have people to believe is low income housing equals black. You know, that that is exactly just like, you know, affirmative action is a dog whistle. You hear affirmative action, you think black. Black. Mm -hmm. You hear low income housing, you think black. But what you don't understand or, or what people don't realize is when you say low income housing, you that is synonymous with working class housing. So who who's in the working class? The the person who checks you out at a grocery store. Right. They ain't all black. Your mail carrier. They ain't all black. Garbage men. They ain't all black. So what when you talk about working class housing and affordable housing for low income people, it is not black people. It is working class people. So let me make this one point and I'm I'm going to turn it over to you to say whatever, because since because we got off track, one other big affirmative action, not program, but offshoot. You know, we talk about the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and what it did. And it did a lot for black people. True. But it did more for Caucasian people. Once again, like I said, every 
law and program that people assign to black programs when you say because it is affirmative action, inevitably these programs benefit Caucasian Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans more than it does African Americans. So we are we all familiar with Title IX? Title IX. That's why I go get my driver's license renewed. Why, Lord? Why? Please educate us. All right. So Title IX was an amendment to the, it was an educational amendment to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And what it did was say that you could not be discriminated against based, basic, boiled down basically because of your sex in education in schools that receive federal funding. So when, when I say on the basis of sex and, and education, that meant like in sports, in education programs, this and that and the other. You about to say something, Beck? Well, I was also going to refer to Title Seven, which would be on the basis of race. Mm-hmm. But um, Title Nine uh, might also, uh, if you you may want to look up uh, RBG with RB- regard to that. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. That's my girl. Mm-hmm. Um. So. What Title IX did, once again, people think when they hear Title IX, they think sports. But let me tell you what Title IX did as far as affirmative action went. What Title IX did was make it possible for white women to bust open the doors of places like Harvard and Yale University's engineering programs, science programs. So, White women who are doctors. Law programs. Right. White women who are lawyers. White women who are astronauts. Thank you very much. And you're welcome. Because that's what Title IX of the Civil Rights Act did. It allowed women. specifically said white women? No. It said what it said. It said women. Right. But during this time, mainly white women walked through the door. Right, because they were most likely the only the only reason why they couldn't access those places is because they discriminated against, against women. women. But white women had the qualifications and the money and the money to get in there. The only reason why they weren't in there was, was because, because they were women. And so here comes Title IX. And once again, you hear Civil Rights Act of 1964, you think black, but inevitably white women. And have y'all ever heard of something called um, minority and women, minority and women business owned, owned business enterprise? Wait, I believe what? so. Minority and women owned business enterprise. Minority and women-owned business business enterprise. enterprise. Mawobi. (laughs) So once again, an affirmative action program that you hear minority, you think, oh, black. Black, Hispanic. Right. Mm -hmm. But inevitably, it allowed white women who owned businesses to get government contracts. Hmm. Right. So once again, as I said, we equate affirmative action with black people. But inevitably, every affirmative action program that has ever been written down and made into law has proportionately benefited white America. So check this. Right. Um Speaking of benefiting white Americans and you hearing things and hearing a certain race attached to it, when you hear welfare, mm-hmm. you hear mm-hmm. black. Correct. Now, what what gets me with the welfare shit is majority of the people on welfare are white, mm-hmm. but you don't see them. It's funny because these are some of the same people that vote against their best interest. <laughs> And they also look down on black people who are on 
the same system that they're on. So there was um they do this oh, yeah. every year. There's senators or legislators who try to introduce new legislation stipulating what you can and cannot buy with food stamps, Correct. right? So, no, you can't buy seafood. Uh, you can't buy steak. You can't mm-hmm. buy anything with sugar in it, this, the, that, and another. The government, the government basically mandates that you have to get uh, fruits and vegetables, 2% Asian. milk instead <laughs> yeah. of whole milk. Yeah. yeah. So, uh-huh. but these are some of the same people, some of the white people that are on welfare agree with this shit right. only because. So, I was talking to Paul and he said this shit like, the, the way he said it, I'm going to fuck it up. But his wife was asking him, um, why do so many people still support the president? Why do so many people still think that uh, COVID is some kind of a joke? And then you have the whole mask uh, shit. Mm-hmm. And his response is because it's like I think her question also is like it's hurting more white people than uh, black people at the time she asked. His response was, white people who follow and support Trump, they care more about their hatred than themselves. Correct. So it's like with the welfare system, how can you be on the same system that I'm on, but yet you look down on me and you want to start adding stipulations that will not only affect you, but hurt hurt you as well. And you know why? It's because, once again, embedded in the fabric of our DNA, we have fomented us, the us against them mentality. What elitist white men, because inevitably that's who it is, what, and, you know, white men in power, what they want you to think, this is why Donald Trump is always talking about, we'll build, we're building a wall, we're keeping these people out, right? And we've had this conversation before. The same people who are saying, build a wall, keep these people out, because if we keep them out, you will have jobs. You don't want them jobs, no way. The problem is, you'll have these jobs, and the jobs will pay you $5.99, and you don't want them. But these same people who you are, yeah, keep them out. Build the wall. Da-da-da-da-da. Those same people who have you all riled up and going against your better interest will turn around, pull into a Home Depot parking lot, look at Pedro and Pepe and go and pay them $3 to go crawl up on a roof and do some stuff. See, and that that within itself, as I said, us against them. And it doesn't matter if... I am white and poor. I'm still better than you because you are black, black and, and poor. poor. Right. Right. So I never I never understood that shit. It's like how can you be the in Dumb. the exact same situation like these covid I'm Dumb. not wearing a mask because uh you know the president says it's okay and then they're going around looking to start altercations at uh, grocery stores, mm-hmm, at Costco's. Mm-hmm, you see mm-hmm. it a lot at Costco, too. And it's like, yo, if you don't like the policy of the store, don't fuck, right. There. Don't fuck there. your city, your state, whatever, whatever. But what would happen right now if we did abolish affirmative action? It's gone. Mm-hmm. What happens? What what's the uh They got a whole bunch of white people that's gonna be crying. That man. that that and there's a whole lot of money that would be siphoned out of so let's think about I talked about nineteen thirties and forties. Before Did I forget you, too, you siphoning money. Who's siphoning Did money? Did you man? know how much PPP money the Catholic Church got? Probably like a hundred million dollars. Four point three billion. Stop playing. Well, you know what? Because each diocese probably, each diocese received money because you could do that. Because, you know, each it's diocese. It's like a franchise, right? Basically. But yeah. $4.3 billion it. out of the, what what was the earmark? $55 billion? I don't know. It's like I damn near believe, 10%. I can believe that. I can okay. Believe that. So you were saying money, but, like okay, it goes so, away, so, white people get mad. <clears throat> oh, yeah. See, that's what I said. 
you don't, they don't really understand what they're doing. And you talked about that the same white women who will be scream, you know, voting for Donald Trump and screaming, yeah, get rid of affirmative action. They don't realize that they are a beneficiary of affirmative action. But so that's here, the same, but that's the same thing with um, Obamacare. Like they, oh, man, fuck that Obamacare. Fuck it. Fuck it. Well, where you got your health care from? Obamacare. Uh, oh, no, I got the Affordable Health Care, the Act. Care Act. Oh, it's yeah. Like my same shit. Funny story. Well, not funny because they were stupid. My auntie was in at her doctor's office and she was on the phone with her girlfriend, you know, just in the waiting room, waiting for um, her to be called. And she was talking about Donald Trump and she was talking about you know, all kind of different things. Her friend is loud, she says. So the lady that was like two chairs over from her because, you know, we're social distancing and whatever, could hear that side of the conversation as well. So um, said that she in turn gets on her phone and starts talking about how she's a supporter of Donald Trump and how uh, she doesn't, you know, she just couldn't believe that these people, this and these people, that and da 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 da. And so they called her name, and the the lady at the desk, she said, asked her about her insurance, affordable, affordable, uh, you know, affordable care act. She had Obamacare, and mm-hmm. I'm sitting up here like, and that brought back to mind exactly. You are literally going against your self interest because you are so emotionally hateful you're emotionally invested in this idea of racism you're emotionally invested in this idea of us versus them and your president perpetuates that the system perpetuates it as i said dog whistles affirmative action welfare all these different things and you know who inevitably perpetuates that here's one too though don't forget about especially during this pandemic, unemployment, the unemployment compensation, which, Correct. as you said, is a part of affirmative action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they're cutting it from $600 to 200. To 200. Now, mm, that's what they're trying to do. I didn't realize how they came up with the 600 because I'm like, that it, it is kind of arbitrary. an arbitrary number. So in doing a little research, the way they came up is their systems were all the state systems were so out of date. They're using old technology. So rather than having the states figure it out and look at, okay, what's this state's uh, unemployment? What's this state's mm-hmm. this, that they just said $600 that that's, it was an arbitrary number, mm-hmm. but it's because they couldn't handle being able to go state by state by state. And then having those states um, handle the shit themselves. But now it's being reduced to $200. And, you know, I see a lot of hate from both black and white people. Man, they sitting around on unemployment and they getting this extra $600 and people balling out of control with this money. That's free money. Well, one, who cares? But it's the what the Republicans are saying is this is discouraging people from going back to work. Let me ask you this. If you were same, I'm going to ask both of you, if y'all were out of work because of this pandemic, unemployed, mm-hmm. would this $600 and we're taking your salaries into consideration, mm-hmm. would this $600 discourage you from going back to work? No, because you said taking my salary into. Right. For me, I would be taking a step back, but you have to consider and you have to talk about people in the situation that they're in. And for a vast majority of these people, for instance, in the state of Louisiana, they are, they are bringing home tax-free $847 per week, which is more than they were making at their jobs. A lot of them. The vast majority of them. But- so in that manner, it is discouraging. Add to that, I can sit down in the safety of my home and get $847 a week as opposed to going to a job where I will encounter, because 
I am working either at a hotel or at a fast food place. Cashier. Yeah. Walgreens. Or you could be working at a hospital. Correct. I am going to encounter all these people who can potentially make me ill, my family ill. And if I'm ill, I can't work anyway. So when I start thinking about the pros and cons of this thing, yes, I am going to stay at home. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, Becky would an extra $600 a week on top of unemployment compensation discourage you from going back to work at your current salary? Um, I'm not technically at work now, but <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, I, I think some people take the health risk into to a factor versus, you know, like, like Ann was saying, m- my life might support, or right now it doesn't support, <laughs> uh, other people in my household. Um, so my life might be a little more quote unquote valuable than one other person in my household. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it wouldn't discourage me, but like you said, the the types of employment, but it's crazy because the people that it should discourage, that's a good thing because I would discourage anybody who's a cashier at a gas station who's a cashier at a walgreens who interacts with numerous people daily i would discourage them from going to work because you're going to go to work and make what's minimum wage now 725 or something you're going to go make 725 eight dollars an hour they might have even given people a little bump because of covid let's say 10 bucks an hour mm-hmm. and, and then you, you talk about Taking taxes. Taxes, right. So mm-hmm. you're still making less than mm-hmm. minimum wage. So, But see, that's the point. If these people are not back at work, the economy can't move. And if the economy can't move, I can't win. Right. So let's that this should be a really good a situation to look at and say and, and look at the value of your employees, because right now you're paying these cashiers. Like I said, minimum wage, eight, nine, ten dollars an hour when them not being there is costing you more money than you would yeah, actually be paying them if you paid them a livable wage. But the problem is, as it stands right now, my business is not even open. They they are not the ones that's costing me money. The government is costing me money. And the reason why the government is costing me money is because the government has shut me down. And Not the reason if you're why a CVS the CVS or a Walgreens well, or a grocery store. No, but trust me, CVS, Walgreens, grocery stores, their employees are working. Because they're deemed essential. Correct. We're right. talking, you know, the people who are receiving this unemployment are the people who work at restaurants, bars, um, hotels. Child care centers, possibly. You know, ho- right. Hotels, schools. So you think you think about as I said, the government has shut me down because COVID is out of control. So as long as there is a mandatory shutdown of my business, it's not the fact that I can't get workers to come back. That is my problem. It's the fact that the government won't allow me to open up the way that I need to open up, which in the end, it's a vicious cycle because I can't open up. I don't have workers. One. So I can't open up. I can't open up because the government is shutting me down. COVID is rampant. People are not coming in. So, you know, it's just. And another factor is maybe I employ a large number of um, single mothers. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, they're going to get their unemployment. Well, what I'm I'm saying is they they may be your business may be open, but. They can't work because they have nobody to watch their kid. Because mm-hmm. schools are not open. Child cares are not working as they they normally would or, be. Or I'm not comfortable enough with whatever procedures that for those that are to opening them back. to send them back. Right. Because and if they get sick, that means I got to take off work correct. and take care I'm of them. I'm still I'm still <laughs> taking And that's off. like one of the biggest like everyone I talk to who has children are like, no way. I'm not when, sending my children back. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my coworkers, 
his wife is a teacher and uh, she is setting up her classroom currently as we speak to get ready for the upcoming school year. Mm -hmm. And it's like with distance learning, right? That's not a new thing. Like the, what was it? University of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. That's just been around since like 2001 doing online classes. Yeah, but then you have to consider... This the ain't audience. 2001 no, 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 where people have, didn't have computers. No, you have to you have to consider the age group. So you're talking University of Phoenix. That's mm-hmm. adults. 19 years ago. Okay, but still, we're talking adults though. Mm-hmm. But when you when you say distance learning with these children, that that is going to require adult supervision. So think right. about it. If I am at home or if my child is at home learning distantly i have to be there right right because right. as becky said there may not be child care for me i you know i can't pay somebody to come into my home and babysit and tutor my child so that i can go to work right and you know in jefferson parish they gave y'all the option and fi- from what i understand 50% of students chose to do distance now, here's where it's crazy. I bet you it's going to be higher than that when. Well, so this is what happens. You have to commit to a quarter. A plan, yeah. A quarter. So at the end of the quarter, you can switch. So anybody who's going to in-person learning, if they decide to take their child out, then they can switch to distant learning in second quarter. But the problem is this. And this is this is what I like scratch and shake my head at. I I have teachers in my family and one teacher in particular was calling me up and um, we were talking because she was concerned. She has a disability, right? And um, I asked her, I said, are they making accommodations for you? She has lupus. And I said, are they making accommodations for you? Because she is one of, I think it's three, three math teachers a certain kind of math in her school, right? So she is going to have a hundred and something students split between three classes. So roughly, you know, I was doing the math. Um, no, it's not three. It's more than three because she has to have 26 students in her class per class. Problem is her class size. You have to socially distance, right? Mm-hmm. Six feet. So I asked her, I said, how are you going to get our socially distanced 26 kids in your classroom? Not her classroom. Well, this is what they did. They changed. uh, And this is how, you know, the CDC guidelines are bullshit because they just changed them to three feet. Right. But here's the thing. The reason why they did that is so they can cram students in them classrooms because of your president. He said, don't make them too restrictive. He literally like. The CDC had the the very first ones that they came out with. If you would have taken a look at them, these children never would have been going back to school. If you would have taken a look at those very first CDC guidelines, as far as the schools are concerned. But then they didn't even they only like they put them out. Nobody knew about them. And then they revamped them. But they revamped them, as I said, under pressure from the White House because you know, in their heads, if we get the children in school, that means the parents can go back to work, which means that the economy, once again, all eye toward re-election. So we need, uh, I guess I'll end with saying this. We need um, something. The government is supposed to take care of the people. The people. Mm-hmm. Our government, historically, whether it be Democrat or Republican, has never done that. And this pandemic is just further proof of that. But when we're bailing out these businesses, these airlines, we're giving them billions on billions on billions of dollars and all these uh, employers. And then if the money finally trickles down to the people who need it most, like the Kanye Westesses and the uh, Catholic churches, Mm -hmm. they don't need the money. The American people need the money. So most people have been out of work in and out of work working from home um three months there's shit march march april, april may, may june, june july five and when you look at it 
from while you're working at home, yeah, it might sound like, uh, yo, okay, I can save on my commute. I can save on lunch and this and that. But your electric bill, that shit, especially in Louisiana, summer when you're running your AC nonstop. You know what? We also need to do cutting you off. We need to do a show about... Save me from myself, damn it. (laughs) Exactly. Really about mental health isolation, you know, working from home. Because some people actually need to be in an office because that's the only socialization that they get. And then you talk about work from home and I'm home every day by myself. Or with an abuser. Or Hey, I said leave our business (laughs) out of this, man. Shit. First so, day back, I got to call her like I see it. But anyway, um, one other thing I wanted to bring up about education is access to educational resources for distance learning. Who mm-hmm. is that going to benefit? Hmm. The people who got it. Right. And the thing is, that is one. I remember when this first happened and here it is, Jefferson Parish. Jefferson Parish shut their schools down. And said, we're going to switch to 100% distance learning. I have friends who work in Jefferson Parish schools. And I asked them, I said, because it was what, the third the third semester they had gone through? They missed they missed the quarter. All right. So I said, well, what are they going to do for the fourth quarter as far as that's concerned? How, how are the grades going to work out? And what one of them told me was the distance learning that they're doing is not counting. And I said, so why is that not counting? And she said, well, they could not make distance learning mandatory because the students did not have the equipment, you know, the majority, believe it or not. And this is Jefferson Parish when Public you say, School. When you say equipment, what qualifies as equipment? Internet connection and uh, Internet a device? And a device. They did not have it. And so I, I refuse to believe that. It's not, I mean, look it up. Google is your friend. No, I mean, I refuse. They might have said that, but I refuse to <laughs> no, believe that that's true. No, but I I believe it. And the reason why I believe it is because you think about the people in Jefferson Parish Public Schools. You know, think, think about them and information and access that they have to inf- for information. And that's not just in Jefferson Parish. That's in Orleans Parish. That's in major metropolitan cities. Students don't have access to devices and internet. And the hell, they, they barely have access to books. Wait. Some please. Okay, I, I just had to pull it up. Pew Research. 96% of Americans own a cell phone. Mm-hmm. That's your device and your internet. Is it right a smartphone or a cell phone? Right. They don't make phones that ain't. Uh, yeah, they a do. They have flip phones that are not smartphones, baby. <laughs> It's Those real. free Obama phones on the corner are Man, a smartphones. They are not. But like I said, just because you own a smartphone does not mean that your kid. Oh, hold on. Wait, Here, here's access. the smartphone stats. OK, 81 percent own a smartphone. 81 percent of Americans own a smartphone. Are we talking adults Fish? or are we talking children? We're Americans. See, we don't. We don't know what what. See, I hold would want to oh, know. No, wait, hold on. No, it, it breaks it down. Actually, okay, mm-hmm. this is, this is interesting. All right, so eighty one percent total of Americans have smartphones. Fifteen percent have cell phones that aren't smart. Mm-hmm. So men eighty four percent own a smartphone. Women seventy nine percent. Ages eighteen through twenty nine ninety six percent. Ages 30 through 49, 92%. Mm-hmm. Ages 50 through 64, 79%. And mm-hmm. these are all smartphones. What the key is that? 65, 53%. White, 82%. No, what the key is I'm that? getting there. <laughs> White, 82% own smartphones. Black, 80% own mm. smartphones. Hispanic, 79%. Less than high school graduate. So that that will be your Man, t- no, kids. that oh. is not. When they say less than high school graduate, they mean adults. the level of education no. that the, that no. that the, this- the adults have. Where the kids at? See, that's what I'm saying. Just because your mother has a smartphone does not mean that if you have a device that you, you can use for work, if, for schoolwork. If there is a smartphone 
96% of Americans, 81% of Americans have Wait, how many, how many black did you 80, say? 80%. <laughs> so, so let me ask. If you, if your mother has one and it is required for you to do distance learning, to receive an education, to use that one smartphone that she has. I'm sorry if you don't no, have access to is, that. If you if but if you don't have a device that's compatible, if so, if you know, most people don't have home phones. Correct. My phone, my cell phone is my only means of communication. Okay. Right. Okay. So what if I'm not there? And what if you have four kids and you have one, one phone, one phone or one tablet? Easy. <laughs> you, and they're all school age kids you install basically it's like uh vmware for you your know phone what? shut up God. just shut okay. up what man just shut up ladies and man, gentlemen this has been your affirmative action <laughs> episode uh keep up with the show across all social media platforms at black law podcast again shout to our sponsor plan b and also keep up with me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on drugs. I'm going to change my shirt. And next episode, <laughs> Anne's going to show up wearing the same thing. And I'm just Anne, and you can follow me at I tell legalize on Twitter. America, honestly, it is infotainment, edutainment. We are trying to open eyes and change perspectives. Thank y'all for listening. One set of eyes at a time. Mm. Becky? Set of eyes? Yeah. Change. Open eyes and change perspectives. Open eyes. One Say set goodbye. Of eyes. But, <laughs> but they're listening. So. And they're watching us. Oh, okay. This is Afro Becky. Signing <laughs> off. Bye. I like that episode. Man. I felt good about it.